Now, for some reason, and I don't know why, for some reason, I've always had a fascination with a character from history. And the character is Winston Churchill. I don't know why, but it's, uh, I've always been fascinated with uh, the character of Winston Churchill, so much so that someone actually bought me a book called The Wicked Wit of Winston Churchill. And uh, in the flyleaf cover of the book, it says this about Churchill. He was the, the greatest orator of his day, the greatest leader of the Second World War, the greatest statesman of his age, and the greatest Englishman of the 20th, 20th century. Now, you might not agree with that at all. But one thing could be said about Winston Churchill is this. He had a great wit. You only have to listen to some of his quotes. And I like a quote, many, that he said, listen to one of them. Um, when he was asked what qualities a politician required, he said this. The ability to foretell what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year. And then have the ability to afterwards to explain why it all didn't happen. But one thing Winston Churchill didn't have, and that was great humility. Listen to what he says. History will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. We are all worms, but I do believe I am a glowworm. Personally, I am always ready to learn, although I do not always like being taught. And then listen to this, and this is a, a sad quotation. He said, I am prepared to meet my maker, whether my maker is prepared for that great ordeal of meeting me as another matter. Well, he's found that out now, hasn't he? But one of the things that stands out now, that certainly stood out in Churchill's life was this. He was also, believe it or not, a great failure at times. He failed quite a number of times. Which is why probably when he went to do a famous speech at the uh, famous school of uh, Eton uh, back in 1941, everyone was expecting this, this great um, stirring speech that he would give to the boys. And he got up, he simply said these words, never, 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 never give up. He never gave up. And it's a great lesson for us tonight. Failure does not have to be final. Charles Swindle, who is a, um, is a well-known American speaker and writer, said this, he said, the person who succeeds in life is not one who holds back from fear and failure, nor one who fails, but rather one who moves on in spite of failure. The truth is, my friends, tonight, some of the, the best lessons we've learned in life, we have learned often from our mistakes and our failures. And in the Christian life, we do find, we do fail from time to time. 
if we're honest. I always remember hearing a, a very fiery black preacher one time preaching. He said, if you believe you're going to fail, then you will fail. Well, it's not just believing, it's knowing at times we will fail. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Because failure can so overwhelm us and discourage us that we feel we can be almost finished and never be abused of God again. And we have to say some Christians do give up and can seem to be finished. Their salvation is not lost, but their service can seem to be lost. But the Bible makes it very clear, failure doesn't have to be final. Rather than discourage us, it can actually encourage us. Why do I say that? Because scriptures actually are full of failures. Abraham, the Bible calls him a friend of God. Yet twice he put his wife in danger by lying about her. Noah, a man who walked with God, he had also got drunk and, and shamed himself by laying naked for all to see. David, a man after God's heart, yet committed adultery and murder at the same time. We could also list others like Solomon, Samson, Jacob, Jonah, into the New Testament, even John Mark. And then, of course, we have Simon Peter. Actually, I sometimes wonder how many of our churches would cope with such failures coming into their doors. But let's not forget tonight, we're all failures, but by the grace of God. That's what we need to remember. Now, we might not have failed outwardly, but we've all failed inwardly. We're all imperfect people. Thankfully, God has not finished with us yet. Which we, why we need to tell ourselves again and again, failure doesn't have to be final. So we're going to look at Peter's failure here tonight. A failure that we're all very familiar with. Notice firstly how his failure is foretold here. It's interesting to note that actually all the disciples failed the Lord. None of them came out very well at all. In fact, in Luke 14, 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, all of them. And then quote Zechariah. 13, 17, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Here's a warning to these disciples. But with the warning comes a promise. Because in Mark's account, he says these words in Mark 14, 28, but after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, though the disciples paid attention to the warning, they didn't seem to pay attention to the promise of what will happen on that resurrection day. In fact, they were um, reminded again of the meeting in Galilee, just in fact in case they had forgotten. In Matthew 28, and uh, verse 10, we read these words, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, just in case they had forgotten. 
So the disciples paid attention to this warning of the failure. But Peter didn't. Listen to what he says in Mark's account. Mark 14, 29. Even if all fall away, he said, I will not. Unwilling to apply the warning to himself. In fact, in this passage here in Luke 22, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter really did mean what he said. He actually thought probably that he was better than the others. But he didn't really know his own heart. Just as we don't really know our own hearts. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Or as the author says, it is deceitful and desperately wicked. Which is why the modern day advice we have today about following your own heart is actually not good advice, is it? And can lead to disaster because we don't really know ourselves at times. Peter's response was one of pride, self-confidence. And that's always a great warning. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Perhaps if Peter had really uh, listened to Jesus instead of being so impulsive and impetuous, he might not have ended up denying his Lord as he did. He might have done, but he might not have done. Pride keeps, is a great danger. It keeps people from coming to the Lord and it can keep people from growing in the Lord as well. I mentioned C.H. Spurgeon this morning, the, the famous Baptist preacher. He, he always has a load of quotes that he comes out with and he says this, God will not go forth with the person who marches in their own strength. Let's be honest, most of us are like Peter. Let's be honest. We can't imagine, can we ever, denying the Lord. And yet we do it again and again in subtle ways. We might not do it with our speech, but sometimes we can do it with our silence. We might not do it with our lips, but we certainly can do it with our lives. So his failure is foretold here very clearly. But of course his failure is also fulfilled in this passage. Peter's denial of Jesus was actually the climax of failures. When Jesus first warned Peter that he would be tested by Satan, in Luke 22:31, Peter affirmed his faith and ability to remain true to his Lord. And yet here he is denying his Lord and Master big time, especially when questioned by a servant girl about him knowing Jesus and being with Jesus. What does he say in verse 57? Woman, I don't know him. And then in verse 60, he's even stronger, isn't it? In his denial, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And in Matthew's account, verse 74, it even includes curses with the denial, where he says he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man. What a humbling picture of this big, proud, confident fisherman. A reminder to us that 
though we might feel we are strong, faithful believers here tonight, we can still be overtaken by faults and failures and forsake even our first love. Reminded to us also that while we are in the body on this earth, we're always on, in danger, aren't we? Why are we in danger? Because of the flesh is weak within us. Because of the devil who's always active around us. And because of the world that's always tempting, trying to squeeze us into its mould. What caused this man's failure? Well, the obvious ones. Firstly, his pride and self-confidence. That's a great, great danger. Always a danger for us when we rely on our own strength and our own ability. We're told, aren't we, in James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But also his other problem was his personal spiritual negligence. Jesus had told the disciples, including Peter, to watch and pray in the garden. But they slept, including Peter. Someone once said the saint's sleeping time can be Satan's tempting time. And it was true for him and for the disciples. Being often said, isn't it, that backsliding is often caused by slack abiding, where we start to neglect the spiritual disciplines of prayer, the word, and fellowship. And also his other problem was his partial knowledge of Jesus' words. He certainly chose to ignore the words of Jesus concerning the cross and what Jesus was going to have to face and the outcome of what it will be. And we can be easily the same. We so often want to hear things that we want to hear, even from the pulpit. Yes, we want the blessings um, that God promises to give, but we don't want the battles that we're called to face as well. In other words, we want to, to have a satisfied life, but not always a sanctified life. We want to be happy in life, but not always to be holy. Yes, we want the, the, the triumphs, but we don't like the thought of the tests and the trials. Yes, it's a lovely prospect to think about the uh, wearing the crown of righteousness one day, but we don't like to hear about, bear, about bearing and taking up the cross day by day. What happened to, after this disciple, uh, this denial? It says in, in verse 60, just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned, looked straight at Peter, went out, wept bitterly. What a time that was for this man. A time of great despair, desolation, and darkness. He knew he had failed his Lord. He knew there was no opportunity now to make amends. Sometimes wonder what he must have felt. Like after three o'clock on that Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, what shame and sorrow must have filled his heart. Thankfully, as we know, it didn't last, as we shall see. But it's interesting isn't it, to note what God will use to bring people to their senses. God has ways of, of using means to bring people to their senses. I've just been reading and, and, uh, a book on the, the life of Joseph 
uh, these past few weeks. And, and, and the cruel way his brothers treated him. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they were so callous in what they did. Um, and for these brothers, it took both a famine and a prison uh, for them to finally tell the truth and be honest. Then you have Jonah, the prophet. Uh, it took a storm and almost a near-death experience uh, for him before he finally came to his senses and prayed out to God. And then for Peter, it took the crowing of the cock and the, the look of Jesus to, to break him down and to bring him to himself. And God will use various means to bring us sometimes back to himself. It could use the means of suffering, hardship, finance. It could be the means of loss. Sometimes it could even be our sin that brings us to our senses. To hear his failure was fulfilled so clearly. But of course, his failure is not final. And that's what the message is about, isn't it? After the resurrection, Jesus met Peter privately and restored him back to his discipleship. Have you noted the words that are found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 5? Words that declare very clearly the gospel. What does it say? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and they appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. Why mentions Peter's name? Probably to show the mercy of God towards the one who denied him three times. Jesus restored Peter privately, and then of course he did it publicly. In John 21, before all the disciples, he said to Peter, very lovingly, feed my sheep. Here was a failure of the good shepherd being asked to feed the shepherd's sheep. The one who denied his master being asked to care for his master's flock. Here was this dejected, discouraged, despairing man being given a second chance. Reminds us tonight that our God is the God of the second chance. Though we might ne must never presume such grace and mercy. I'm sure Peter learned some valuable lessons during this uh, time of failure and time of restorations. What lessons might he have learned? Firstly, have no confidence in yourself. He was so full of himself. Now he had to be emptied of himself. Secondly, failure doesn't have to be final. If we truly repent and believe, God will restore and renew us. Peter was not just sorry for his sins, he was sorry for wanting to sin. And thirdly, Jesus really was and is Lord of the whole situation. Despite Peter's denial, despite Judas' betrayal, despite the things that were going on, Jesus was Lord of all. So in conclusion, I want to say tonight, most of us, if we're honest, 
We have failed in our life. Some of us might even feel continual failures tonight. Three things that can help us as we close that must have helped Peter. Firstly, Jesus, pray for him. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as we, but I have prayed for you. I'm sure, Peter, I'm sure, would have remembered those words in prayer. Might not have understood them at the time, but later he would. But also it's a reminder to us that Jesus also prays for you and me as well. In John 17, that great uh, prayer that Jesus prayed for the disciples and for us, he says in verse 20 of John 17, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that is what Jesus prays for, that you may protect them from the evil one. Vital you and I understand that tonight because the enemy of our souls loves to accuse us, especially when we fail. He is, remember, a tempter and an accuser. And he loves to use both of those. You know what it's like. He comes along, he tempts us and says, we'll go ahead and do it. It's not that important. No one will see you're only human. And then when we fail and we fall, he comes along he's, uh, and he says to us, huh, how could you do that and you call yourself a Christian? Remember when Satan is sifting us, Jesus is praying for us. So Jesus prayed for him. Secondly, Jesus understood him completely. When Jesus said that Peter would deny him, he was really saying, look, I know how much you would disappoint me, but you will not surprise me. He wanted Peter to know that the, the hidden weakness that was now revealed was no surprise to him at all. Even if it was for Peter. And the Lord wants us to know that tonight. Because we can be shocked, if we're honest, we can be shocked when we see our own actions sometimes that we didn't think we would do. But remember, the Lord is never shocked. He's the one who made us. He's the one who saved us. And he's the one who knows us through and through. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So Jesus understood him completely. And last of all, Jesus really did love him. Despite... Peter's denial and his failure, it made no difference to the love Jesus had for him. Note Jesus' words after he had risen. He said to the disciples in Mark 16, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why mention Peter? Because Jesus must have known how Peter was feeling and the state he was in. It was as if he was wanted to put his arm around him and say, look, Peter, you fell, you failed me but you're not finished. You denied me three times, but I've not discarded you. You have sinned, but I've forgiven you. Peter, I love you. And we need to remember that tonight. God loves us as well. He loves us, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. It's an unconditional love. It's a changeless love. It's an everlasting love. It's an old song, isn't it? Remember we just sing uh, a children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's another version that says, Jesus loves me when I'm good. 
and I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, though that makes him very sad. But he still loves us. So the message is clear tonight. Failure doesn't have to be final. And like Peter, let's not forget, Jesus not only prays for us, he not only understands us completely, he really does love us more than we can ever imagine. You may feel a failed Christian from time to time. Remember, my friends, you are a forgiven Christian. For your sin and my sin was put on Jesus on the cross and that what it, Jesus did for us on the cross covered our past, present and our future sins. And because we are a forgiven Christian, we can never be a forsaken Christian and we can never be a forgotten Christian in God's eyes. Failure doesn't have to be final. Remember, God is not finished with us yet. I love that verse in Philippines 1, 6. One of my favorite verses. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish what he has started despite our failures. And even when we let go of him, remember, he never lets go of us. Never. Let's not forget that.